This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome to AHP, the number one hunting, shooting and fishing podcast in Australia. Thanks for joining me today. I'm talking with former head of the Federal Labor Party's Mark Latham. Uh, The first intro to the show, we talk about uh, the nanny state, we talk about freedom of speech, we talk about the election of Donald J. Trump in America, and we also find out Mark's thoughts about the Labor Party in 2017. Of course, we know Mark said a few things uh, on mainstream media about firearms, so of course we chat about that. We chat about registration. Uh, we chat about, obviously, shootings in the United States. And we also talk about real-world examples like you know Canada, New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Czech Republic, who have these types of firearms you know, where it's not a problem in those particular countries, especially in New Zealand. Obviously, on the firearm thing, we disagreed, but I guess ultimately that was what always going to happen. Mark says he supports shooters, so I'll let you guys decide uh, during the show as to what your opinion is on that. And we also chat about whatever major things in self-defense and uh, getting Mark's take on uh, what he thinks about self-defense in Australia. Remember years ago, uh, Mark Latham ran against John Howard in an election to be Prime Minister. He subsequently lost, but uh, it's good to get someone on the show and have a good, robust discussion about firearms uh, and about many issues, not only affecting Australians in this country presently, but also majorly affecting gun owners. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you think I did a pretty good job. So without further ado, let's get into my interview, Guns in Australia with Mark Latham. Fire up the grill, this is Jason Spencer from Hunt, Catch, Cook, and you're listening to Australian Hunting Podcast. Mark Latham, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I really appreciate being able to join me tonight. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Absolutely. First off, let's find out who Mark Latham is. Growing up, politics... Tell us who Mark Latham is, for perhaps some of my listeners might not know who you are. Well, I grew up in a place called Green Valley near Liverpool in Western Sydney. It was a public housing estate. My family moved there in 1965 when I was age four, and I was lucky enough to get a pretty good education through the system and and get on to university. But I got interested in politics at that time because Green Valley is a public housing estate, um, didn't have the facilities that other parts of Sydney took for granted, so I got interested in politics about age 15 uh, with a sense of urban injustice, and I thought the Labor Party was the place to do something about injustice and poverty and disadvantage, so I got involved there and I got elected to my local council. I became mayor of Liverpool in 1991 and then was elected to the federal parliament in 1994 as member for Werriwa, representing mostly Campbelltown but also the southern part of Liverpool. And I was um, holding that seat for 11 years, became leader of the Labor Party for the 2004 federal election, which we lost. And for health and family reasons, I got out of politics after that. And since then, I've been active in a whole range of uh, capacities in the media. And most recently, um, I've joined the Liberal Democrat Party and set up uh, an alternative media organisation called Mark Latham's Outsiders, which, in partnership with Rebel Media, a very successful Canadian organisation. We're trying to explore 
alternatives to the mainstream media in Australia to push back against political correctness and identity politics and social engineering. You know, we're very much in favour of free speech and free expression of opinion. Yeah, absolutely. There seems to be a lot of people part of Rebel Media. You know, Lauren Southern out of Canada. You've got Tommy Robinson, obviously, in the UK. Some quite prominent uh, personalities for Rebel Media. Yeah, well, you know, we talk about modern politics as the insiders, the people who've had the power, and the outsiders. Well, rebels are naturally part of the outsiders rebelling against the established order in politics. And whether you're talking about Trump or Brexit or the recent British result, or even in France, there's a lot of... uh, rebellion against the major party system so there's also rebellion against the mainstream media who run a lot of agendas um, have a lot of bias they don't really give you the other side of the story so rebel media internationally is trying to give people the other side of the story and that's what we hope to do here in australia yeah what do you think about trump i'm quite a fond uh, fan of trump myself i mean especially he has a different way of doing things i mean do you think also to the I guess the people of America that you know, obviously voted for Hillary Clinton haven't really accepted, have they, that they've actually lost, and it seems to be actually getting worse, the things they're saying. And what's your thoughts on Donald Trump? Yeah, well, I love the Donald. Uh, I think he's a great character. I always tell the people he's part Australian. If you listen to him, he's quite a, he's got quite a larrikin sense of humour. You know, you can't really judge Trump through the mainstream media in, in terms of media bias. I mean, the, the hatred of Trump is palpable. you really got to listen to Trump directly with his interviews and his speeches, and I did a lot of that during the American election campaign. And you're right about Hillary Clinton. Her problem was she thought she was going to build a coalition of black Americans, Latino Americans and women to become president. She thought of all those groups and and plus the gays and the LTGB mob vote for her, then she'd, she'd have enough votes to win. But she left a big part of the equation out, and that was white men who'd been restructured out of their jobs, those rust bucket states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, Michigan, and she forgot all about a constituency that the Democrats had once represented up front, you know, white working-class men. And she forgot about them, so they marched out slowly, methodically, and voted against her, and good on them, and that's why we've got Donald Trump as president. What do you think? I mean, obviously, I'm 36 years old. I grew up in Blacktown or Marion, right next to Blacktown in Western Sydney. Now, obviously, my parents who grew up in this is pretty much Labor heartland. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the Labor Party in 2017? I mean, do you, do you feel they've lost their way? I mean, I've seen them slowly, and this is only my opinion, obviously, slowly over the last, you know, 15 years turn, you know, more and more green as time goes on. What are your thoughts of the Labor Party in 2017? Yeah, they've become green, politically correct. They judge things now by what we call identity politics. Instead of judging every individual on their merits and trying to look after people on the basis of need, Labor's looking through the prism of race, gender and sexuality. These are things that, you know, when I joined the Labor Party, we were told to ignore race, gender and sexuality. It didn't go to a person's character, it judge individuals on their merit, their need. And identity politics, quite frankly, is, is, is a pile of bullshit. Because, you know, just look at Bill Shorten recently, had an advertisement there about four, five, seven visas, and Anthony Albanese and others, the whole Labor Party came out and said, oh, you've got too many white people in the ad. Well, who, who, who used to judge things that way? I mean, the point of the ad was you only needed to be a worker a worker adversely affected by these four, five, sevens to qualify to get into the ad. Does it really matter if people are male or female, black or white, straight or gay? It doesn't matter to me, but it matters a hell of a lot to the modern Labor Party, and, and they're running this identity politics like they're obsessed with it. Fancy saying there's too many white people in the ad. It's anti-white racism. 
So they've lost the plot in that regard. I, I can't believe they've gone down this pathway. Where do you think it's coming from, though? Like, what? Why in in two thousand and seventeen? I remember. I remember growing up. But I mean, it wasn't like this when I was eighteen. When I when I come out of school, you know, young, fresh whippersnapper, and you know, probably would have been nineteen ninety eight, and probably that was when it started to go downhill. And I thought the Labor Party used to be for the well, maybe they still are in some ways the working man. But as you said, it's turned into this identity politics. Well, I'll tell you where it's come from, Jason. The, the, the left-wing impulse is to try and control everything. They try to control how we run the economy, but that all fell apart when the Soviet Union collapsed and we had the fall of the Berlin Wall. All their foreign policy aspirations fell apart. Then they try to control Australia's immigration program with open borders and letting all the boat people in. That all fell apart when over 1,200 of the boat people drowned on the waters between Indonesia and Australia. And they then started to turn to this identity stuff. The great hope for them was Julia Gillard. You know, the big thing about Australia was going to have its first female Prime Minister. That didn't end very well. So really with the election of uh, the Abbott government in 2013, Labor forgot all about its past support for working people and a lot of the um, principles of fairness that they'd adopted and they've gone down the identity path. And a lot of it's crazy. I'll just give you one example. Unions New South Wales, it's what we used to call the old Labor Council down there in Sussex Street, they're now advertising jobs where if you're a female, you get extra superannuation money. Now, for over 100 years, the union movement fought tooth and nail for the principle of equal pay for equal work between men and women. Equal pay for equal work. Now, they've junked that. They're saying that if you're female, you deserve more money for the same job, for the same work. So this identity politics has fried their brains and they're junking a lot of the principles that had made the Labor movement strong, and they're very much weakened by this because unless you've got a compelling argument for paying people differently, they used to argue against that. You couldn't pay people differently. Now they're saying you can. So a lot of it's just um, crazy crap. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? People, and it's, I know a lot of shooters in the community as well when you sort of join the LDP as well, they think, Mark Latham, he was Labor. Now he's saying all these things we like, like free speech and getting rid of the nanny state. They, it's sort of blowing their minds in a way that you've come from the Labor Party over to, I guess, this different position. And I guess some people might be struggling to understand, especially if you're from the Labor camp, why this is actually happening. Well, the Labor Party's changed, but, but I hope people can also understand inside the Labor Party, I used to have lots of arguments with the left-wing faction about economic freedom. I supported the Hawke-Keating economic model and the left were always wanting economic control. I had massive arguments inside the Labor Party about uh, boat people coming in. I said, look, you know, we've just got to acknowledge here how it's right. We need strong borders. And if you don't stop the boats coming, then it's going to end badly because you're, you've got an illegal system relying on the payment of people smugglers. It's, I said at the time of Tampa... This will all end badly if the Labor Party goes down this pathway. And it gives me no joy to say that all those people drowned and it ended terribly. Mm. The Labor Party and, and, and the Greens and the refugee advocates who pushed that approach. So, you know, I used to argue those cases inside the Labor Party. And what's happened to me in recent years is um, loss of uh, freedom of speech. You know, I was banned from talking at a Labor Party event at Smithfield yep. by a bunch of inner-city trendies, Rainbow Labor. Rainbow Labor banned me from talking at Smithfield. I thought, well, turn it up. They weren't even going to the function. I've, I've lived in Western Sydney for over 50 years. I'm not going to be banned by a, a mob called Rainbow Labor from the gay Mardi Gras uh, who wouldn't even find Smithfield uh, if it had a street directory. So, you know, I'm, I'm not putting up with that. And different left-wing media outlets have said I can't exercise my free speech. And Quite frankly, you don't know uh, what it really feel like, feels like to lose your free speech until it happens to you. It's a loss of citizenship, a loss of capacity to participate in debate. And, and I thought at that point, well, I can't stay with an outfit that does that. I've, I've, I've got to join 
the party of freedom, so I've joined up with the Liberal Democrats, and so far it's working out really well. You joined the Rebel Media Group. How did that come about, and I guess what's the plans for that, but also you know, the Outsiders show expansion? Well, I was punted out of uh, Sky News for a, a bunch of things that I thought, thought were fairly innocuous. I said that Christina Keneally had led the most uh, corrupt government in the history of New South Wales. Well, you've got Eddie Obeid and Ian McDonnell in jail, so it's not a bad statement to be reflecting <laughs> the, the truth, you know. But sometimes, you know, it's like the Jack Nicholson in that movie, they can't handle the truth, and they kick you out for speaking the truth. So I set up Mark Latham's Outsiders. Rebel Media was looking to expand its, 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 its operations into Australia, and I said to the head of it, Ezra Levan, who's, who's a wonderful guy, I said, look, there's no point the two of us competing against each other. Why don't we join forces and we'll be even stronger that way? And, uh, and, and I hope that's the case. Yeah, well, what, why is it when, and this happens, and it probably happens with your outsiders too, you probably read all the comments on, on my show too, where, you know, we do some quite political shows called Straight Shooting, where we talk about firearms, what's happening in the industry. We even talk about when some of the pro-gunners, in, in, even in our industry, aren't, aren't supporting, you know, pro-gun agenda, as you would say. And then people start blaming Jason Sills because we don't like what you're saying, because, but it's the truth. I mean, I think Ben Shapiro said it the best. Facts are facts. They don't care about your feelings because they're facts. No, you can't change the truth, but the left try to by closing down your capacity to speak the truth. You see, they're not winning any of these debates. I mean, on refugees, on the green agenda, on identity politics, if you, if you sit down and debate a lefty, you're bound to win because their arguments are so weak. Their only tactic is to close down your capacity to make your points, to exercise your freedom of speech, and they try and control the media space as their only way of winning by monopolising the argument. So, you know, this is their tactic. And, you know, in, in the case of your program, there's a controversy at the moment about Sam Newman, something he said on the footy show. Well, for all those lefties, if you don't like all those shows or you don't like Sam Newman or you don't like me, don't watch us. You know, it's one small flick on the, on, on, on the remote, one small click on the remote to watch something else. So if you don't like Sam Newman or someone else like that, a larrikin character, turn on to a different channel. But instead of doing that, they all pile on to try and get him rubbed out and, and, and others. They've tried to rub me out over the time. So it's a, it's a new censorship that's very un-Australian because the Australian way has always been to call a spade a spade, have a debate. If you don't agree with someone, tell them to their face and you can agree to disagree and move on and you know have a beer at the end of it all. So... You know, these precious lefties are trying to monopolise and control our speech, and we've got to fight back against that. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sport shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is now even bigger. With hunting gear and outdoor equipment from the world's biggest names, plus demonstrations, talks, and entertainment for the whole family. Over 120 displays, one location. The SSAA Shot Expo, RNA Showgrounds, Brisbane, August 26th and 27th. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. Why is, I mean, I agree with you here, why is free speech so important? I know you've been against the nanny state as well. I mean, I think it's changed. I mean, I'm only a bit younger, but it's, it's changed heavily since I said the not, you know, like probably late 80s it started, the, the 90s, obviously well into the 2000s, and we've become a nanny state. You pretty much can't do anything. So why is free speech so important? 
Well, free speech is the basis of your citizenship, of belonging to society. If you can't express your opinion, then what, 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 what have you got left? I mean, it's the foundation stone of participating in politics, free speech. And if you surrender your free speech, then what do they take next? They'll take the other decisions off you. They'll take your opinions, they'll take your feelings, they'll take your behaviour, they'll try and control all these things and, and run your life for you. And that's the essence of the nanny state, to try and run your life for you instead of recognising in Australia today we've never been a better educated population with all these people with university degrees. We've never been a wealthier nation with all these people who set up businesses. I find today your average Australian is a lot smarter than your average journalist and your average Australian is a lot smarter than your average politician and your average Australian is a lot smarter than your average uh, lefty. So, you know, you've got a smart, intelligent population who can make their own decisions, you know? And the, the, the real sadness about closing down free speech, what they're basically saying is they don't trust people in Western Sydney, they don't trust people in Western Melbourne, they don't trust people in the outer suburbs of Brisbane, they don't trust people in rural and regional Australia to make up their own minds. The Australian people are smart enough to listen, listen to a whole range of views and they'll make up their own mind as to what they think is truth. And that's the way it should be. So the lefties don't trust the public to make up their own mind about these issues. And I think fundamentally that's very, very sad. Talking about the LDP, uh, you know, a lot of my listeners, some support different. There's different, obviously, a range of different pro-gun parties uh, to support, obviously the LDP being one of them. What sparked your interest in uh, joining the LDP, Liberal Democrats? Well, I went to their uh, Liberty Conference down there in Sydney and, uh, you know, I made a speech that was well-received and even the things that they disagreed with, uh, no one tried to pull the cord out of the wall or take my microphone off me. They're a party of freedom where it was, it's a bit like what, the way the Labor Party used to be, that you can have your disagreements, you can have your debates, but, but free speech is the foundation stone. And I like some of the wildness of uh, open debate. You know, that's how I was brought up. So I like that freedom agenda. I, I like David Lionhelm. We don't agree on every single issue, but he's a great character and a great fighter for freedom in Australia. And I think, you know, a lot of their policies... Uh, uh, nuclear energy policies, energy, energy policies, open business policies, cutting taxation, as we say, uh, pushing back against political correctness in the nanny state. I support those 100%, and um, it seems a natural fit. I know, saying nuclear energy right now, Bill Shorten and the Greens are probably rolling over in, rolling over now, freaking out about nuclear energy. Well, what's the alternative? They tried 50% renewables in South Australia, Australia to yep. keep the lights on. Australia should be a global energy superpower. We should have all sorts of energy flourishing, the, the, the fossil fuel energy, the renewables, and nuclear. We've got all this uranium in the ground. We export it to other countries. We're geologically stable. We've got all these vast open spaces for the, for, for the dumping of the wastage. We, all the countries in the world, Australia, logically, is the place that should be uh, strong with nuclear power. And the more energy we can generate here in Australia, flood the market with energy, it drives down prices, and it gives industry the security to invest and create jobs. And, and what's happened in Australia on the energy front, where they can't keep the lights on, and, and people say the coming summer we're going to have blackouts in the major states, it's a, it's a disgrace that a country like ours has got to the point, because of this ideological obsession about renewables, we've got to the point where we can't power up uh, jobs and, 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 and benefits for consumers. You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just reading an article just the other day, I think, where you know, selling our gas overseas, yet we're buying it for more expensive than we're selling it to overseas. I mean, is this just absurd or...? Well, we should be the number one nation in the world for creating energy and, and, and benefit as consumers, benefit as workers, as, as, as business owners. It's, you know, you want to know what's gone wrong with Australian politics, have a look at energy policy, where instead of having 
the world's greatest supply of energy. We're, we're now a laughing stock. We're in South Australia and beyond. They're struggling to keep the lights on. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the gun issue a bit later. But what um, policies the LDP do you think you, you you fully support, and ones that you maybe you know maybe a bit on the fence about? Oh, I listed some there: the free free speech policies, anti political correctness, anti nanny state. Uh, I love their policies for reducing the size of government, lowering taxation. Uh, I think you know tax cuts are, are critical in Australia at the current time. The top marginal tax rate of forty nine percent. A lot of people out there working every second day for the government. It's a huge tax burden and, and, and it's only getting bigger year by year. So it is time to give people a bit more economic and social freedom. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, good policies there for the Liberal Democrats that I think in the current environment have got a lot of appeal. Obviously, people, when you first joined, it was uh, quite, you know, media were obviously onto it very quickly. Now, there are murmurs, they're saying, you know, um, you know, Mark does what's best for himself, for an example, and he's going to be running for the LDP as a candidate in the future. I mean, can we rule that in? Can we rule that out? Or what's the, what's the plans? Any future plans for your political career? Or Oh, well, if an election was held on Saturday, I wouldn't be running because my family's, um, you know, still a bit young for that. I, I got out of politics because I wanted to be spending maximum time with my children and, and, and that time in, 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 in being the stay-at-home dad for my three children has just been the most wonderful experience of my life. Some people say, oh, you need quality time with the kids. I think you need a long time with your kids to get to know them properly. You know, children are not simple. They're complex, you know, mini adults in many respects. So it's just been wonderful for me to spend all that time uh, as the stay-at-home parent and, and also support my wife's career, which has been very successful in the law. So the kids are still a bit young. The, the, the youngest one there is not yet 10. So if an election was held on Saturday, I wouldn't be running. But it may be years down the track if the, the kids sort of think, you know, Dad, we're at an age where, um, you know, we could see you going back into politics. If it helps the, uh, the LDP, then I might be running at that stage. I don't know when the, the government, Mark, they first told us that, you know, we're not, we weren't allowed fireworks, for an example, because someone hurt themselves. Then the government told us, you know, um, we, we can't have firearms because of psychos like Martin Bryant, for an example. Then the government told us, you know, we must be politically correct because people might get offended. Then the government said we can't be trusted with free speech because we might turn into racists. I mean, do we see a connection here? I mean, do you think that our values, freedoms and, say, way of life is being eroded? And would you be willing to consider that, you know, an attack on gun owners, I guess, is part, part of that erosion we're seeing, you know, over the last, say, 10 to 20 years? Well, I was talking to my kids the other day, actually, about Queen's birthday long weekend and the old uh, cracker night. We had the penny buggers and the Catherine wheels and the sky rockets and, and all that. So I don't think that did any great harm to anyone. On, on, the, on the gun issue, I, you know, I think there still is a role for government in certain areas. We have, you know, law enforcement. We have an army. I think it's a legitimate role for government to say, look, there's a, a safe level of um, particular types of gun ownership. And... You know, I think one of the problems in politics generally is that people get a bit too ideological or have a preconceived view of the world. We did have a, a problem with public massacres, and it culminated at Port Arthur. He was on the other side of politics, but I think uh, John Howard got um, a policy in place that if you judge it on the evidence 21 years later, we haven't had any of those massacres. So I think your average Australian would think there's a, a freedom in being able to walk through a shopping centre with a pretty good guarantee there's not going to be some sort of uh, Islamic lunatic, uh, Islamic terrorist with a semi-automatic weapon there, uh, as you see in some other countries. So I think there is an argument to say that the, the gun laws we've got now are, uh, are working in practice because they've maintained 
public safety in Australia. But at the same time, I saw a statistic just yesterday, there's almost a million licensed guns in New South Wales. Almost a million licensed guns in New South Wales. So on the flip side, we've got to respect the rights of those legitimate gun owners. We've got to support the rights of sporting shooters. I'm very much against any green-type sneering at uh, sporting shooters, calling them bogans and that type of thing. And I think the other thing we've got to do is support our farmers with the uh, the feral pests that, uh, you know, we've got to put people ahead of animals and uh, ensure that the farms can operate. Uh, there's a new New South Wales law to help the farmers with, uh, with with the shooting of feral pests, and I think that's a good thing too. I wanted to get your opinion on that, because you brought up some very, very good some, some very good things there. Now, massacres, why do you think, because, I mean, I had this discussion with a friend about, you know, probably three or four months ago, and, I, and he says, well, oh, we haven't had any mass shootings because we can't get semi-automatic weapons. So I, I thought about that, in, in obviously, in my mind, and I'm thinking, nobody wakes up in the morning, Mark, and says, you know what, I'm crazy. I'm going to kill as many people as I possibly can. Oh, hang on. Because of the Howard gun laws, I can't get my hands on a semi-automatic weapon. Oh, I'm cured. I'm just going to go to work throughout my day. I'm back to normal. I'm not crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. I mean, we saw in the, the Lint Cafe seizure, you're probably quite well aware, uh, Man Monis had a pump-action shotgun uh, that was banned in 1996, supposed to be not be able to buy them. Real-world examples like New Zealand, Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Czech Republic, even England uh, have semi-automatic weapons. New Zealand hasn't had a mass shooting since um, 10 months after uh, the Port Arthur massacre. They have pump shotguns. AR-15, the quote-unquote assault rifle, they have pump-action shotguns, same as the firearm that Man Monist used in the Link Cafe siege. So are New Zealand people more trustworthy than Australian people? I mean, they haven't had a mass shooting, and they have these. They pretty much have the exact same firearms laws, give or take, that the US has and other countries around the world, but they don't have the mass shootings. So if they have the guns and don't have the mass shootings, aren't we seeing a bit of a correlation? Because the real-world examples don't back up what we're saying here. Well, I think in Australia, you know, we're a pragmatic people. People look at, you know, what works in practice and they say what matters is, is what works. And how it, you know, whether it's, it's good fortune or good management, you know, you can never really tell. But you'd say the result that, that he said, he said in 1996 we're not going to have any more mass shootings. And he changed the laws and that's been the outcome. And I think your, your average parent, you've got kids there, you want to walk around all these public places with an assurance that... These, these semi-automatic uh, guns aren't available for, for lunatics to do their worst. And quite frankly, you know, I, I, my family, we had a trip through um, Europe uh, towards the end of last year and we spent the period between Christmas and, and New Year um, in London where you could feel the edge, you could feel the tension on the streets. And my wife, as we left there, said, uh, this will be the place for the next terrorist attack. And so it was. So you can sort of feel the tension in some of these places. And in Australia, we've still got safe streets where we haven't got that tension, that we haven't got that edge. And I just think it's a reassurance for your average uh, parent to think that unlike other countries, we haven't got the massacres in schools, we haven't got them in shopping centres, we haven't had a repeat of Port Arthur. And I, I, I really think, Jason, as long as people have got that peace of mind, now it might change, you know, who knows, who knows what happens tomorrow. But as long as people have got that peace of mind, you're going to have an Australian consensus, uh, a voting consensus, that Howard, his objective from 1996 is being realised, and until that changed, changes, they're, they're going to support the, the gun laws that we've got. 
Yep. I mean, what do you think about gun ownership in Australia? You know, good, bad, just right, leave it as it is? What's your thoughts well, on that? Well, I think that? leave it as it is. And I often say to people in the, um, in the shooting clubs and the gun lobby, it can get worse, you know. It can get worse. So, say, for instance, one of these Islamic lunatics, terrorists, got hold of uh, some guns out of a, a sporting club and, and, and did their worst with them. There'd, there'd then be a push to close down all the shooting clubs in Australia. So things can actually get worse. And I just think that the Howard thing is, is settled in the public mind. And as I said earlier on, you know, New South Wales, you've got nearly a million licensed guns. You've got very successful sporting clubs that we should support. Shooting is a great Australian um, uh, sporting achievement. We cheer for all these guys at the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. That's a great thing. So I just sort of think it's settled and it can get worse um, according to events. And I don't want that. I, I think you're better off just saying, look, We've got um, successful clubs, legitimate shooters and farmers can exercise their rights and, and they shouldn't be sneered at. They should actually be recognised as, as, as proper sports people or, or proper business people doing what's necessary with the feral animals out on the farms and that the Howard settlement is there and, and we draw a line at that point. Don't make it softer, don't make it stronger, just, just live with those laws and if whatever happens in the future, just, just, just go with the 1996 arrangements. Registration of firearms, you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, if it's part of the existing arrangements, you just need to licence them, don't you? I mean, in New South Wales, it's a hell of a lot of guns, nearly one million. And I think we've also got to, you know, put out a bit of public information about this because it is true the Greens will sneer at people and sort of imply, I heard one of their... New South Wales upper house guy, Shoebridge or someone sneering oh, at David, anyone who David owns Shoebridge, a gun, yeah. you know, sort of implying that they're about to cut loose on the streets. We've got to get the statistic out there that 97% of the gun crimes are with illegal guns. And your average law-abiding, registered, licensed uh, gun owner, uh, particularly through the shooting clubs, is, is not a problem to society. So I think it would be helpful if the politicians, you know, got that message out there and push back against idiots like Shoebridge and uh, said to the Greens, look, you know, the basic statistic here is that 97% of the problem comes from illegal guns. Crack down on the importation of guns illegally into Australia. Put some more resources into customs to make sure that the illegal weapons aren't coming in. That's where the problem is. Instead of uh, sneering at your average legitimate law-abiding gun owner, who, quite frankly, is uh, is no threat to society. The reason I ask that is because we're wasting, you know, since 1996, hundreds... I'd probably into the billions now, I wouldn't be surprised, but hundreds of millions of dollars on registering people like me that are less, the most less likely people to do anything with firearm. I mean, case in point, which you're probably well aware of anyway, former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, he was the uh, Prime Minister for approximately 10 years. Now, he said firearms registration was wasteful, ineffective, it had not saved one single Canadian life, and we will abolish it. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, they had a 7% drop in crime in the first six months, and their gun homicide in Canada is now at its lowest since 1996. Why do we waste hundreds of millions that, as you could know, could go to schools for your you know, education for your children, you know, medical, roads, infrastructure. I mean, John Howard seems to be Teflon, that nothing seems to... St- we built in no infrastructure. I mean, all these other things that, that sent prices, especially for homes in Sydney, to crazy amounts that they are today, that now 50% of Sydney can't afford to buy a home. Well, in Canada, they still have a licensing system. They do, they do. But they they still bought- had a dual system, and they got rid of one half of it, but they still license, and they still uh, prohibit semi-automatic. 
No, 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 they have semi-automatic weapons, pump-action shotguns, semi-automatic shotguns. They've got semi-automatic rifles. I'm just actually, actually about to interview a young, a young lovely chap that uh, is an Australian guy from Brisbane just moved up there as well. But in New Zealand as well, in the mid-'80s, uh, New Zealand abolished firearms registration because Australia is actually one of the last countries. Well, they still in the... vet their owners. They still vet the gun owners. Of in, course, of course. Yeah, but New my New question, York. I guess, is about the, the hundreds of millions of dollars we're spending on registration. I mean, as you, know, as you just said, we saw, I think it was in the Sylvania Post Office, 220 Glock handguns uh, imported into the country. I mean, Ann Tolley, the former police minister, said there's no evidence to show that, in fact, private registration of firearms will give any greater protection to the community uh, than the current system. They abolished it in the 1980s because they said this is a waste of money. So one head of state uh, saying that these don't do anything and, and we're having a, a major drop in crime and putting money back into education, back into policing where it should be going in the first place. I think for the reasons I outlined earlier on, the Howard settlement is pretty well fixed in stone and in the public mind, any attempt to roll back aspects of it is just not going to succeed. So we're better off... um, Even if it's based on fact, even if it's not based on fact or what actually works? Well, yeah, what does work? I mean, Howard had the very important goal of no more of these public massacres and and, and that's been realised for 21 years, which is a pretty substantial achievement. There's some things in politics... That just get worked into the public's mind that, okay, that's working in practice, don't tamper with it. And I think it's really in that category. And and you'd say there's other things that Australians, you can have an argument about Medicare, you know, lots of things you can improve about Medicare, but the basis of the system stands in the Australian psyche as the bedrock of of health insurance. And more recently, you know, everyone's agreed that we need to stop the boats, a refugee flow like that would be a disaster. So, some things just get settled in the political debate, and unless there's a major problem with them, in the case of the Howard Laws, if there was another massacre, well, people would have to reassess how the hell did that happen. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier on, it can actually get worse for gun owners. Well, uh, that could have happened too. People say, well, I think I've, I've heard you on the, uh, you think you were on one of the morning sunrise programs. I think it was with David Lionhelm and um, Robert Borzak, I think. It was might not have been oh, that yeah, one. Yeah, on a Sunday, the weekend sunrise, yeah. Yeah, it might, might have been that or it was another show when you were talking to Bob Catter as well and, and they were talking about, oh, well, if he had, you know, one of these Adlers, it, it could have been a lot worse. I'm like, well, hang on. He had the firearm, which was banned before 1996, and they said, oh, but nothing happened. I said, yeah, but if he wanted to, he would have just gone in there and started unloading that firearm as fast as he possibly could to kill as many people as he possibly could with that particular firearm. No, nothing would have stopped him. Well, uh, I got into catter on that show because he's, he's, I think it was son-in-law or one of his family members had a commercial interest. I didn't know that was very ethical and, um, and, and so forth. But anyway, look, I can only give you my views on the gun debate. I'm not anti-shooters. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm very much in favour of recreational shooters and, and, and law-abiding gun owners. And I'm against the sneering, but I just don't see any practical way in which you're going to have an overhaul of Australia's, uh, uh, you know, a liberalisation of Australia's gun laws. It's just not in the practical realm of what can happen in this country. And as long as Howard succeeds in that objective of no more public massacres, then your average Australian, especially parents, you know, worried about kids at school, worried about safety on the street, shopping malls and the like, there's going to be absolutely no appetite for people rolling back any of that 1996 stuff. I just, I just noticed it seems to be, and you were talking about the Greens before, a bit of the sneering. I, I read an article just about six months ago, and it was in the paper, and it said, you know, gun nuts don't get to call the shots. And I thought, well, that's vilifying gun owners. Can you imagine if we said on there, Mark, you know, gay freaks don't get to call the shots, or 
Muslim freaks uh, don't get to call the shot. There'd be that much negative media about that. We, we probably have to go and hide under a rock for the next 100 years. So why is it okay to vilify my chosen sport? I'm not a criminal. I'm not Martin Bryant. But I just want to go about my chosen sport unhindered by the government. Well, I think we need more national leadership to say these are legitimate sports. I think it's quite a, parad- a paradox that you get this green left sneering, but, you know, at the time of the Olympic Games or the Commonwealth Games, we're all cheering for the shooters to win gold and silver and bronze medals. It's, uh, you know, for, for a couple of weeks in the four-year cycle, we're all pro-shooters because they're going to bring great sporting honour to Australia. Well, I think people like Malcolm Turnbull should step up and say, well, it's not just a couple of weeks in the four-year cycle. It should be every week of the year, we recognise this is a legitimate sport. And the other thing we've got to do, what I, I worry about in the public debate, uh, there's a mood now for putting animals ahead of humans. And I was a very strong opponent in New South Wales of the banning of the greyhound industry. Because, you know, some people there who'd invested in their dogs, loved their dogs, were going to be put out of, of business for no valid reason. And quite frankly, a lot of those dogs live a better life than, than some people do. So, you know, there's a, a, a mood, and this was even in the Liberal Party, Mike Baird's government, the Liberal Party, we're going to put um, so-called animal welfare ahead of uh, human welfare. So I, I think we've got to change that uh, balance. And, and in the case of feral pests and some of the pests in our national parks and the like, you've got to say there's a legitimate argument for shooters to clean these animals out and preserve the environment. It can actually be a proper pro-environmental policy to have some uh, eradication of, of, of the pests and shooters have got a role to play. Often the, the, the anti-gunners and the anti-hunters, whether it's on public land or private land, they say, well, you know, we're, we're not achieving anything or it's you know, really a small dent. You know, hunters, just not only in New South Wales, but I guess across the country, you know, remove millions of feral animals. And when the likes of David Shoebridge say this, I say, well, how many feral pests has David Shoebridge removed from the ecosystem over the last couple of years? The answer generally is a big fat zero. Well, so that's another point. Hunting should be recognised as a legitimate sport for some people in, in proper controlled environment. And it can be pro-environment in, in cleaning out the ferals that are knocking national parks around, knocking the landscape around. So, you know, I think we can legitimately say those things and um, support people in the legitimate use of their gun ownership. Um, And that would rebalance very much the the public debate and also let people know about uh, the virtues of of, um, shooting clubs and and hunting. Um, Because I I come back to that original point, I do worry we're in a political environment where animals are getting a, a, a better set of treatment than humans. Good to see that you support that. There's a lot of states around Australia where you can hunt on public land. I mean, several years ago, Barry O'Farrell did backflip on a on a deal to uh, you know allow people to hunt. You know, we, we've already hunting in state forests across New South Wales, but to extend that to to national parks and you know there was a big outcry. It, it didn't turn out to what it was supposed to be, and I'm like, well, what's the difference really between something that's labelled a state forest and something that's called a national park? No. Really? No difference. Exactly. Exactly. That's good you support that. People that listen to the show wanted me to have a chat to you about that and said what your thoughts on hunting on public land and hunting in general. Got a very good one for you. I'm now. not anti shooter. I'm not anti legitimate shooters at all. Anyone who says that doesn't know my opinion. So hopefully I'm clarifying a few things as we go along. 
Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Big one. France had the, the chance to change at their last election. They, they chose not to. Now, I want to talk about very one that's close to, close to my heart, actually, is self-defence. I'm a very big supporter of self-defence. The government gives us, by law, I guess the right to defend ourselves, but really gives us no practical means to do that. Do you support the right to self-defence? And this includes either non-lethal forms of self-defence. You know, We've seen David Leinholm talking about it, for example, pepper spray, tasers, or even at the bare minimum, firearms in the home for self-defence. Obviously, concealed carry, totally different ball game altogether in this country. Well, you can, at the you moment, can have but... pepper sprays now, can't you? I mean, in WA, you can, um, but yeah. in our rest of the state, Classified tasers, prohibited weapon, um, pepper spray, prohibited weapon. Yeah, you expect the feminists to take a better role in this because wouldn't they be arguing, you know, women being attacked on the streets and all that? They need capsicum spray, pepper spray to, to fight the attackers off. I think that's a legitimate um, form of self defence. So I'm not expert in this field, but it seems to me that, you know, at that lower level, of um, of people defending themselves, then I think all of that's very legitimate. I don't know about tasers. I'd have to think and read and research about that. I, you know, you can kill people with tasers, can't you? So, but anyway, certainly the capsicum spray, the pepper spray. I, I think that's all. Uh, it's all fair cop. People, uh, when I normally talk to them, say, "Well, you know, in a certain amount of percentage of situations, the the attacker normally gets access to the the self defence item that the person's carrying. So whether that's a taser, pepper spray, I'm like, well, what's the what's the morally superior position here to to, to have nothing and, and and just hope for the best? I mean, no doubt, probably in your time of uh, you know over the years, you've and I've had it on this show as well. You've had I've had people threatening to you know, punch my face in, or, you, or or kill me, or and no doubt you probably you know being oh, in the public. Oh, I had the infamous uh, episode with the taxi driver, that uh, Mustafa, the taxi driver. I had a dispute with him about the fare, and I walked off, and he got up, he drove his taxi up on the footpath and tried to run me over, and I ended up on the little brick wall there in Western Sydney trying to get away from this lunatic, and then he stole my bag, my work satchel, because I was coming back from a work function in the middle. Sydney, so I chased him, and uh, to my surprise, I, I caught him and I tackled him a beautiful Johnny Raper style rugby league tackle. I brought him down, and unfortunately for him, I brought him down on the on the road surface, and his arm fell underneath him, and the rotten bastard broke his arm. So that was an example of me acting with you know, people still say I assaulted this bloke, I did no such thing. I acted within the law to recover my property that had been stolen, and unfortunately, this bludger ended up with a broken arm. Well, bad luck for him. So I, I, that's for me is a perfect example where within the law you should be able to recover your property, defend yourself, uh, fight off lunatics, and for the women in particular, if they've got the sprays available, well, they've got a better chance of doing that. Politicians often say, you know, law-abiding firearms owners, you know, as you've just said before, we're, we're not the problem yet. Almost every piece of legislation put forward by the government is affecting and targeted at law-abiding firearms owners who, who do the right thing. Yeah, then the government says, you know, we support John Howard on gun laws. I mean, it seems a bit hypocritical for the politicians to be saying that. I mean, case in point, Mark, the amnesty. Minister Keenan just read out there's going to be a, a federal amnesty, I think, for three months. And he specifically says um, in his media release, it, it's going to target terrorism. I mean, you're a man of common sense, as am I. Do you believe, honestly, that criminals, terrorists are really going to hand in firearms in an amnesty? No, there's no would-be terrorist who's going to hand in anything. So that's, that's, that's pie in the sky. 
But maybe the mood and the and the, and the tide is changing a little bit there. Uh, you know, we mentioned David Shoebridge. Troy Grant gave him a good old whacking on the news with regard to, you know, this feral pest issue with the farmers. So I think after the, um, you know, the dreadful, dreadful mistake they made on greyhounds, the National Party in New South Wales have pulled their heads in and they're being a bit more realistic. So... You know, you, you win some of these battles, as we did on, on, on Greyhounds. You, you can get some improvement in other areas and a rebalancing of the, the public debate. So I don't think all is lost. Yeah, I mean, Liberals really are. Aren't they supposed to be conservative? I don't, I don't even know why they even tried that, to put people out of businesses, to put people... You know, I've read stories about people got Greyhound studs, whatever you want to call them, for example. You know, their property was going to be worth half what it was going to be worth overnight. I mean, they're not even thinking about families. They're not thinking about people that are going to be affected by these changes. Oh, they're not practical. I mean... The Four Corners ran a show. Four Corners is normally a pile of garbage, and they ran a show that, oh, you know, animal cruelty, they're, they're live baiting with the rabbits. Well, I, I live out here on five acres, and I can guarantee you, if, if I got a couple of greyhounds here, they'd catch 100 rabbits a night and eat them alive. You know, there's rabbits everywhere. So the idea that uh, we've got to close down a whole industry because of some bunny rabbits is just ridiculous. In their natural state, greyhounds are hunting dogs. They're not sort of cuddly pets that you, you, you stick in the, in the backyard of the, 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 the inner city terrace. They're hunting dogs, and if you let them loose on your property, they'll catch hundreds of gray, uh, hundreds of rabbits, and eat them alive, because that's that's what nature's given them. So you can't beat nature in the end, and uh, we've just got to be realistic about some of these things. I want to talk about because this often always comes up. I mean, the media we're seeing it every day, and it annoys me, and it annoys gun owners as well. The United States of America, you know, I've I've lived there myself for a, for a short amount of time. I thought it was a great place. Uh, I re- totally respect their Bill of Rights. Uh, especially their Second Amendment, obviously, to own a firearm. Now, often, I've heard of it yourself do it as well, but I've heard a lot of mainstream media do it, saying, well, we don't want to be like America, but our firearms homicide rate was dropping before 1996. Crime in the United States, uh, homicide crime with firearm, last 80 years has been dropping. America currently ranked uh, 102 in the world for firearms crime out of 196 countries, so not really, not even at all in the top 50%. FBI data stating 77% are from suicide, majority of the rest are gang related crime or police having to shoot criminals so a good depends on which year you look at anywhere from 65 to 77 percent suicide rate uh, and then look, look at countries like Brazil. I think I sent you a, a, the questions prior to, to the interview. And Mexico, Honduras, for an example, uh, very little, if any, gun ownership in those countries. 2014, Brazil, 59,000 deaths with firearms. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to own a legal, law-abiding uh, gun in Brazil. I mean, so, so to, to sort of say that less guns would be you know, equal less crime is sort of a bit of a misnomer because it's not really supported by facts. So why do we have this infatuation with the United States when, and I'm looking at the FBI, I mean, you'd probably be aware, Federal Bureau and the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, FBI is one of the most respected law enforcement agencies, probably if not in the, in the United States, if not in the world. And they're not even 102. Why do we continue with this infatuation with the United States of America to try and prove uh, gun crime when I never hear about the poor saps in Brazil who are being gunned down every day and you can't even own a firearm in Brazil? Well, I think the short answer is school massacres. Now, we, we are hooked into the American media, no doubt, but, you know, as a parent, my, my blood just turns cold. It's just incomprehensible to think you could have that problem in our country. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt for a minute the statistics you, you've given us there, but it's the school massacre thing that it really... You know, as a parent, you can't imagine anything worse than that, can you? So I think that's the that's that's the point where I say, well, we don't want to be like America. We don't have school massacres in Australia, and 
and for every parent who, who, who kisses their, their child at, on, on the way out as they go into the school gate, and you want them to come home that afternoon, you know? So I think it's just simply coming down to that. So what's coming up uh, for Mark Latham in the future? What can we expect from Mark Latham? Big things? Can we? I've, I've got this new Mark Latham's Outsiders with Rebel Media, so we're going to try and build that up. And I speak out on a lot of men's issues. We just had the big international men's conference on the Gold Coast where people... Um, you know, I get a lot of feedback from people saying, Mark, you're saying a lot of the things we'd like to say, but we don't, haven't got the platform to say it, or other people in the media will say, oh, you're saying that stuff there, you know, you get out and say it. Oh, they're perhaps a bit scared of the left feminists and the, and the political correctness and the censorship. So, you know, I do a lot of support from people who sort of say, I wish we could get out there and say those things. So it's important for some people to make a stand and put their neck out and, 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 and dare someone to chop it off. So that's my role to some extent, and I'll try and keep that up. I've got a bit, bit of a curveball here now. You mentioned the taxi. And so I don't know if this is what this person's talking about, but they don't specifically mention that. It was an email from Craig. Craig Crowley. Oh, that's, a, that's a mouthful. Jason, first off, love the show. Wanted to talk to you about Mark Latham. I enjoy watching Mark's commentary on free speech and the out-of-control nanny state. He said, where I get a bit annoyed is Mark lecturing gun owners on firearms issues when he may not even be eligible himself to hold a firearms licence due to past indiscretions. If Mark truly understood freedom, that, that is, what, no one issue is more important than another. He would be a great ally and supporter of shooters. Keep up the great work as always, Craig. What would you say to Craig in response to Craig's email? I don't know. What's the indiscretion? I, I, that's what he's, I don't know. That's what I thought I'd ask you on the show. I've never, I've never, I've never been convicted of... Uh, so, so you could get a firearms licence tomorrow, no problem? I'd hope so, but um, I, I'm not. That's not my, my sport. I've, I've sort of done um, footy and cricket over the years, and and so forth. But I've you know I've always had a good relationship with the shooting ranges and clubs. In my electorate there, there was a very strong club at uh, Kent Lynn in the seat of Werrell near Campbelltown, and I uh, got out and spoke to them at the time of the, the changes there in the 90s. And uh, I'm I'm going out in the next couple of weeks. Back to Kent Lynn, because they've had some contact with me after I joined the Liberal Democrats, so it'll be good to see those guys again. And also out to a range at uh, Silverdale. So, you know, it's not been my chosen sport. It's it's not, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just the way it is. But I've never had anything against those people and always quite enjoyed visiting and, and participating, and I'll be doing that again. Yep. Have, you, have you ever done any shooting as a kid? Or yeah, you've never... yeah, at that yep. range there. I fired off a few rounds back in the day. I don't know how I went, but... Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not expert. Oh, there was also a gun club out there at Brinjelly when I was the mayor. I used to go out to their presentations, and now I fired a few rounds off as the mayor of Liverpool. I think I think I uh, I did a lot better there. They had a, sort of a closed um, a closed um, range. Um, I was better indoor than outdoor. I told a very limited friends that I was sort of doing the show, and they said, "Oh, if he ever wants to come out, let us know. We've got, you know, we can go to Queensland, we're New South Wales. We can. They want to take you shooting." So I said, "Well, you know, I'll ask him, and, and we can have a laugh about it. I'm sure if you, you yeah, know, I'm doing a bit of that. I'm not, I'm not close to it. I'm very open to it, and enjoy the company of the people involved. So, and I've had a bit to do with Peter Whelan through the Liberal Democrats. He's a great enthusiast, so um, I'm looking forward to it. Two more questions to finish off. I want to tell us... Anyway, you tell Craig Crowley there, what's my bloody indiscretion he's going on? <laughs> he thinks I'm a crook or something. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd, I'd be okay to get a licence. Come on, Craig, you might know more about me than I know myself. Yeah, Craig, well, just as I said, I get he uh, sent me this email. I thought, well, I'll throw a bit of a curveball, but you know, I knew you'd be able to handle it. Two more questions to finish off. Tell us a story. I guess I want a story, because my 
listeners always love to hear a story before we finish off. You know, just a couple of minutes, maybe a personal accomplishment, something that, you know, stands out in your mind, maybe, you know, as a, as a great day in Mark Latham's life. Great day. Well, I want to keep it fairly basic. When I got out of politics in 2005, I had health issues there, a dreadful thing called pancreatitis, and I had to clean up the diet, and, and also as the stay-at-home dad, I, I, I started to do uh, cooking. So I think I'm quite a, a dab hand in the kitchen. And I get no more satisfaction than from cooking a good meal up for the kids. And I always say to the dads out there, all dads must cook. Even if you just do a, a bit of a recipe on a Sunday evening, all dads should have a go at cooking. Because remember back in the day, dads always got a lot of satisfaction from doing something with their hands. Um, you know, making something for their kids, the billy cart, the treehouse. Well, the kids these days haven't got treehouses or billy carts because they're all on the computers. So if you can do something creative for your kids with your hands, cooking is a really good thing to do. And it's a good way of striking up the conversation, getting closer to your kids, you know, talking about the nature of the food. So it might sound a bit naff and some people might say, oh, you know, it's a bit, uh, bit girly, the bloke getting in the kitchen. But for me, it's been very, very satisfying. And, and, and to end a good day for me is to cook something up for the kids that they really enjoy. And, and, and I love that idea of something creative, making something with your hands good for your kids. What's, uh, what's one of the Mark Latham specialties? got about 300 recipes there I, i'll tell you tonight i cooked up a um a, a beef or a steak stir fry with the noodles and uh it was it was pretty good it had the oyster sauce the the, the ginger the garlic i threw some uh, celery in i've you know i'm getting confident enough now to do my own little twists on some of these recipes so yeah it went pretty well and you know also for your kids um you know obesity is an issue my kids are pretty fit i suppose but home cooked fresh food does have a good benefit and it helps them know that uh, in the future um, that's the sort of food that will keep them a bit healthier down the track. Mate, I guess uh, finish off, I guess any final thoughts um, if people want to yeah, check out your TV show, um, how's that going? Uh, they can find it online, you know, so websites, emails. Yeah, the website address is uh, marklathamsoutsiders.com so it's as simple as that, marklathamsoutsiders, an S in there, lathamsoutsiders.com if you go there. And you enter your name and your email address. You register for the Rebel Australia arrangements with Rebel Media. And uh, we run, uh, oh, it's a whole library of videos, political campaigns, things where we're trying to be active uh, on all the themes we've, we've discussed tonight. So that, that, that's the key place to go. Yeah, absolutely. Who's, just one last question. Who's involved with Is there quite a large group involved with Rebel Media in Australia? Well, there's, I'm the, uh, the the main person. Tanvir Ahmed's involved. Claire Lehman, they're uh, active doing some of the video editorials. We've got a few staff, but it's just starting up here. And 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 Rebel Media started in in Canada, where it had been very successful. And Ezra Levant has has, has opened up a a branch in London, where Tommy Robertson is, is is a bit of a legend there and been very very active because of the the terrible things that are happening with uh, radical Islamic terrorism. So Tommy Robertson's probably their international spearhead but they've got gavin mcginnis in the united states as well you mentioned uh, lauren southern earlier on faith goldie she's a very keen shooter you wouldn't want to argue with faith and uh yeah so, so it's a, you know it's a, it's a it's a group that's developing over uh, across the world really and it's part of the push for alternative media where a lot of people don't trust the mainstream media and and, and want to hear a, a a different a different side of the story Absolutely. Well, Mark Latham joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast, uh, representing Mark Latham's Outsiders and his TV show and obviously part of the Rebel Media. Mark, thanks for your time. I appreciate uh, having a good uh, chat with you tonight. Thanks again. Hopefully we can chat soon. Yeah, it has been a good chat. I thank you, Jason, and, um, and thanks for the opportunity.
You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.